Hello, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined, as always, by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall and a good friend of the show, Pat Narduzzi, joins us this episode. Pat, thank you so much for taking some time out. Hey, uh, it's always good to be on, you know, to see my old counterpart, the ACC, <laughs> uh, Coach Mendenhall, and, and, and Brian, it's good, good to talk to you today. Absolutely. Well, you know, it is fun to, to, to kind of reminisce between some of those days that uh, you guys had going across the field. But it, it's always interesting to talk with the head coach at, at Pitt because you can go across the, the hall or I guess down down the down the stairs there in, in your own football building. You, you get to meet with Mike Tomlin quite a bit. Uh, how different is it for you being a head coach, having really an NFL franchise that uh, you can just kind of walk over to and, and, and bug and, and ask questions of Mike Tomlin? Yeah, it's a. Uh... You know, it's incredible. Nobody else in the country can get it. Um, you know, I didn't know what it was when I, you know, I didn't take the job because of it. Uh, at times, it could be a distraction for our coaches. Uh, you know, I've got a patio out here overlooking. They're out there in their walkthroughs right now uh, as we speak, but it's distracting. You might be watching recruiting tape and you're peeking out the window like, hey, look, at that's a great drill. <laughs> and we need to put that stuff. And you get a lot of ideas by looking out the window. And uh, But the relationship is incredible. Uh, the people are incredible. Mike Tomlin. You talk about one of your, you know, you guys that you really, really respect in the in the game of coaching, and just the way he does business, he's real. Uh, it's the same Mike Tomlin every day that you see on TV. It's the same guy he is in person every day. Um, just you know, and again, th- that whole staff is open to our football uh, program. I mean, they help us out. I was on the you know phone earlier today uh, with Kevin Colbert, you know, their their GM for many many years, just talking about you know our program and what we can do better. Um, you know, just sounding boards, but I you know have a relationship with him where he can walk through my, my, my back door, I guess, off the balcony here and, and just ask about anything. I mean, he's been able to, you know, mentor some of our players, you know, when they get down to that, should I go to the NFL? Should I stay? Um, Hey, let's, you know, let's walk out on the patio and see Kevin. He'll tell us what's going on and what, what he thinks, you know, hear from a different perspective. So the relationship is incredible. And uh, you know, um, you know, it's a, it's an it's an honor practicing next door to them. I, I bet for your players, I'm interested to hear your perspective uh, with your players seeing the Steelers players right next door. I, I bet that might become more real to them that they're aspiring to be that. They see what it looks like. They see what the players are built like. Uh, maybe how they conduct themselves. Do you think that uh, I don't know? Maybe adds motivation or adds it more real that that's something they they could end up doing. You know, it really does. I mean, even when you think about grad transfers when they come yeah. here and they've played somewhere for three or four years and then they come here and they're like, that's where I want to be in a year or two, depending on how many years they have left. And they look out there. And, I mean, it's real. And, you know, I think any even high school senior that comes by uh, to watch it goes, you know what, I, I can get done practicing in our field, walk down the other end and they're coming out, walk through and I can watch the O-line individual. I can watch the running backs. I can watch the defensive backs watch what they're doing, how hard are they working, um, you know, are they paying attention to the details, are they sloppy or are they sharp, and how can I improve my game when I go out there the next day? So I think that's something that's, um, you can't measure that. And, you know, I think some kids are more mature than others that can really pick up on stuff. You know, right now, I'll, I'll give you a little peek out here, pick up my door here, get a little, uh, one of our receivers is out there right now, you can see sitting on the, the bench out there with a the gray sweatshirt, Kanate mm-hmm. Mumpy, one of our receivers. But you see the defense is walking down the yellow jersey way down the other end, and then yeah. the offense is in the left corner there. But, um, you know, Kanati's out there right now watching. I mean, he, he wants to improve his game and and, uh, and try to get better. And I think, uh, you know, just it's, it's, it's a special deal for sure. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking about that, I don't know, one of the things that's that's so refreshing and to me was motivating is to see a young person really dedicated 
and committed to what um, their future is going to look like. And they're not just saying it, they're doing it. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I bet it, it's when you see someone like that, one of your own team, right? And you probably didn't ask him, probably didn't set it up and say, I'll meet you at this time to go look. He's right. self-initiated it. I bet that's pretty powerful. It really is. And, you know, I tell you what, you know, you talk about just, you know, players watching them. Mike Tomlin has said to me in the past, like, I knew that guy was going to be a great player because he's like a, he's out here watching us all the time. Yeah. Like he can evaluate you. Like yeah. if he knows there's a good player, but the guy, you know, that good player who might be a first, second, third round draft choice is never watching ball. What's he doing with his free time? Like you mm -hmm. have a chance to watch that every single day. What are you doing? And, you know, he gets a feel for who the, our kids are, just like what's important yeah. to them. If they have a passion, they love that. You know, he'll, you know, he's, He's, he observes what our guys are doing and what they look like, not only in practice, but what are they doing when we're, you know, when the Steelers are practicing? You know, there was a great interview question. Fortune 500 companies were focused on a number of years ago that they thought was a great predictor of success. And that interview question is, um, what do you do with your free time? And the answer to that, much to your point, was predictive of how successful they would be. And if they were passionate about the field they were going to enter into, and their free time um, demonstrated that, then they they were a better hire. And so someone that loves football, right, as to, to Mike Tomlin and what you're saying, to your point, right. if they're not out there, what else are they doing? And that whatever else they're doing really is the priority over that. No question about it. You know, it's that question we always ask assistant coaches or GAs when you're interviewing them, you know, what, you know, what do you, you know, what's your, what do you do on your free time? Oh, I love to go out to the bars. I love to golf. <laughs> I love to go play. I love to bowl. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't have a hobby really. Like I'd love to golf with my son if I have a chance, but that doesn't happen very much. But just spending family time when we have it is, is really my, my free time, unfortunately. And that's kind of what we chose. You know, one of the things that uh, also struck me just as you were talking and, and you showed up uh, to become the head coach at Pitt, not knowing really what it was going to be like to have the Steelers there. But as as a head coach, I'm sure there were other unexpecteds. Wait, I didn't know this was going to be part of being a head coach. What are the things you've kind of uncovered or maybe maybe that were just and I'm sure there's a long list. But what, what were the maybe the most dramatic ones of like, oh, wait, this is part of being a head coach? Well, you know, I think, you know, as we, you know as we move on in the profession, I think it's gotten different, more different than what it was. I, I feel Bronco, you know, being with Mark D'Antonio for 11 years and being a defense coordinator and assistant head coach for most of that time, uh, you know, defense coordinator for all 11 years, like, um, you know, I, I felt like I didn't come in to being a head coach too much. Like, mm. oh man, you know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't shocked. And I think that was a benefit for me because I wasn't in that, oh my gosh, you know, I'd been a D coordinator for years. I was ready to, you know, I was ready to give up the play calling duties, knowing that like trying to do both is probably not beneficial to the university of Pittsburgh. So that, you know, that didn't weigh on me. I'm not one of those guys that I got to call it and I want to be a head coach. I want to do it all. Um, you know, did Tony never interrupted me when I was, you know, uh, coordinating and trying to call plays and, and bug me on the headphones. So I didn't want to do that to anybody else. Uh, so I think that was important, but nothing really shocked me. It's it's now some of the new things, the, the name, image, and likeness, the portal, some of the new things that are happening in this profession that you guys, I'm sure, talk you know a lot on these podcasts about. Um, those are the things that you go, gosh, if I'd have known that, maybe I'd just stayed as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Let me just call, you know, once the coverages are not bad, you know. We'll blitz a few more times, but you know th those are the things. But really, coming into it, Bronco, I wasn't like, 
Mm. I didn't know I had to do this. Um, you know, yeah. I think there's probably more media stuff here in Pittsburgh and more coat and tie, you know, get out in the community type deals here than there was in East Lansing the eight years I was there. Like D'Antonio did, I feel like maybe I didn't see it as a defensive coordinator, but I felt like he didn't have to do as much of that as maybe sometimes I have to do here in Pittsburgh. But I don't mind getting out in front of people. And that, that doesn't, that's kind of why I became a head coach. Yeah. If I didn't want to do those head coaching duties, I'd have just continue to be a defensive coordinator and have fun. Yeah. When um, you brought up something that was, I think, really powerful. One of the things that on the current research is saying, if someone really wants to be skilled and have a great uh, profession and do it in a timely manner, one of the greatest things they can have is an effective mentor. And it sounds like uh, Coach D'Antonio was kind of that to you, and at least in your preparation, it sounds like. No question about it. I think, you know, from really the very beginning, you know, after I graduated from college, I went to be a um, a graduate assistant at Miami, Ohio, that I've, I've been lucky to have, you know, a ton of mentors. And Daytona just happened to be that last guy that I was with for the longest period of time, 11 years, three at Cincinnati and, and eight at, you know, at Michigan State University. So uh, I had the longest, you know, and the most recent, you know, with him. But along my way, uh, you know, besides Coach D'Antonio, you know, there's there's been somebody that's impacted my life, like yours, I'm sure, that, uh, that you never forget. Matter of fact, you know, Joe Novak's just texted me back and forth, you know, last night and this morning, you know, who was in Northern Illinois, just an incredible guy um, that, uh, you know, that's, you know, still around that just, you know, is, is watching and, and seeing what's going on. He's always got great advice. Um, he, he's, he's incredible as well. Mm. If you were to, uh, I don't know, maybe give advice to a young aspiring head coach based on what you're seeing now, and what areas of preparation, besides really knowing their craft, right, and knowing the game, what other preparation are you finding helpful? Just uh, as you mentioned, your coat and tie, um, but you're certainly recruiting, and there's the tactical part and the strategic part, and now there's the NIL component. Um, what other areas of preparation, um, and what advice would you give someone that's trying to to figure out or aspire to your seat whenever you're old and gray and, and done? I'm there already. I'm there already. Um, <laughs> You know, there's so many things, as you know, Bronco, it's not just one. You talked about the tactical. Obviously, you better know what you're doing there. And I think as a head coach, the first thing is, you know, uh, don't micromanage your coaches. Try to let them go coach. I mean, that would be advice that I'd give guys is um, you better hire good people. And I think, you know, that's something I learned from D'Antonio. First thing is hire good people, then good coaches. If you hire these really good coaches, but they don't know how to treat the kids, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. They're not going to play for them. They're not going to pick up the coaching. So um, I think, you know, really it's the people you're around. So as a head coach, you know, the tactical stuff, you know, I don't think you become a head coach if you don't have that. You're going to have to be a coordinator and have had some type of success on your side of the ball, whether it be special teams, offense or defense. But you, you better um, know how to deal with people. And I think the communication skills are critical. And I think mm. some of you know the young coaches out there that are aspiring to be head coaches uh, have forgot, you know, I maybe maybe never figured out what what it takes to communicate. Communication is so important. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's by phone, in-face communication, everybody thinks they can just, you know, tweet it. And, oh, didn't you get my tweet? No, I didn't see that. Oh, you did it on TikTok? <laughs> um, but just, you know, the way we communicate. I mean, I think we've had success here because there's been a, you know, a path to communication. And even with the young coaches, I've got to teach them how, how are we going to communicate? Like, this is, if this is not, you know, you're not in high school anymore. This is not college. This is real communication. And, and I think open lines of communication are critical. Mm. Um, I think, you know, you know, the, the players and the coaches being able to trust you enough that they can come in and communicate with you. But just, you know, I think the communication skills are lacking nowadays because everybody wants to, you know, 
talk on the phone and doesn't want to be face to face. They want to text you and, you know, and you can read text messages the wrong way. Well, the text, I didn't really mean that, you know, and I, you know, we always talk about, you know, intent versus impact, you know, the, the intent of that text message or that phone call versus what, you know, how that person's going to take it. Uh, so I, I would really stress, you know, the communication that, that these coaches are going to have to go through. And, and I think when you become a head coach, you know, we, we can't be nice guys. Unfortunately, sometimes we've got to be the bad guys and they got to understand that you, you have to sometimes put your foot down. You can do it in a nice way. You don't have to be a, you know, a grumpy guy about it, but you know, I'm kind of the, the probably the annoying guy in the office that walks around and says, Hey, what, you know, why does that look like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, Kurt's coming through the door. Why is that sitting there? And I won't give any details about what. I'm like, get out of here. And, you know, I mean, it, it goes from nutrition to the strength staff to, you know, whatever it may be. Like, why are we doing it like that? And, and I'm, you know, I'm in my office for this hour. And there's something happening outside in the hallways there. Like, I don't even know what's going on. But, you know, when I walk out and I see stuff, sometimes I'm like, wait a second. Like, you know, where do we get that? You know, why are we doing it like that? Um, so I think, you know, the head coach has become that guy that's, always on the ops guy about, Hey, let's get this fixed. Let's change this. I don't like this anymore. I want this. And, but that's how, to me, a head coach, a young guy that wants to be a head coach better pay attention to details because if we don't pay attention to details and Bronco, I know you are detailed. Um, but if you don't pay attention to those details, you're going to lose it all. I mean, it just mm -hmm. goes downhill and in, you know, in your cafe and the weight room. I mean, just, and that's my job. I don't, you know, I'm not worried about going to coach that front or coverage. I'm worried about all the details and I'll let those coaches uh, take care of the coaching part. It's really sound advice. Uh, we had Andy Reid on a number of weeks back and I, I asked him a similar question and he was first and foremost looking for great teachers. Um, and part of that immediately was communication, which is what you hit on. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't the, uh, the exact or an identical answer, but the ability to communicate well and to teach effectively um, besides the quality of people, right? That's what, uh, he mentioned, which is kind of what you just said. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the people. We, you know, we talk about relationships in here all the time. It's about the people in your office. And, you know, I think we can all, you know, I can go teach a guy how to, you know, coach the linebackers. I can teach him how to coach a secondary. Hey, this is what we want. But you can't teach them to be good people. Yeah. And have good communication skills and be able to talk to these guys when there's something wrong. You know, no kid wants to be BS about why he's not playing. Like, tell him like it is. Like, that's yeah. who I am. I'm going to tell you like it is. And, um, you know, th that's kind of how it goes. The, the relationships that you're talking about. And so when you're selecting staff or where you're selecting assistant coaches or you're selecting players, um, things that are important to you, maybe qualities that you're looking for, or maybe things that in their background, what things really are, are that you know are going to fit well for you and at the University of Pittsburgh, right? And, and almost a surefire guarantee that you're going to get along well if you see what? What kind of things are you looking for to be around you? You know, I'll, I'll name one thing and you'll probably laugh and go, yeah, that's weird. You know, besides, you know, he better be a good player on tape and he better have the grades and we try to check out the character. But the one thing, if I had to give you just one thing that just I, I peek at and I go, it's that that guy you want to be around. The, the yeah. guy that has a smile on his face, mm -hmm. that looks happy. There is nothing worse than coaching a good player that's grumpy every day and you totally. can't read him. And you're like, what is wrong with that guy? Like, you know, like, and again, we talk about attitude all the time. What's your attitude? And I am big on a guy that has a smile on his face. When I see a, a recruit come in and he's got a big smile on his face, I'm going like, that's my type of guy right there. He's happy. And, you know, sometimes, you know, life is not happy and we try to, but like, you know, if you come in here and you're not really happy as a recruit, you're probably not going to be happy as a player. I want guys that have a big smile on their face 
And I think those smiles are contagious and, and attitudes are contagious as we know. It's, it's so much fun to be around happy people. And to your point, at the University of Virginia, uh, because I grew up in the horse business and I lived on 30 acres. And so we built that into our recruiting process. And so each recruit would drop their bags off at the ho- at the uh, at the hotel and I'd take them two by two, teach them to ride. And then we had a path cut around our property. And by the time it, that was about an hour that I had with them and the assistant coaches would be lined up if it was their recruit. And I would just kind of give them a no or a yes, because if I didn't want to be with them every day, I didn't want them in our program. And if I enjoyed that ride and they were kind of riding like John Wayne and, and having fun. And I was just like, yeah, this, yeah. After we evaluated their tape, right. After we knew they were a good character after, after, so all that's already checked, but do I really want to be around him? And much like you, the people that were optimistic and happy and it just makes all the difference. It really does. I mean, you can have this great player, but if he's miserable and grumpy all day long, I mean, it's just, you know, the Debbie Downer type. I mean, it's just, you don't have to, you don't have to deal with it uh, through life. But, you know, we work too many hours with these guys. We want to be around people that, you know, just like your staff, if you're working with a grumpy coach, it's kind of like, hey, you know, our kids can see if you're grumpy, then they become grumpy too. So, um, you know, that's that's a great story. I wish I had some horse rides at one hour. (laughs) One hour, you know, you get off that thing and you give him the thumbs up or thumbs down on his, you know, and we see it, you know, we see it every day here. You know, you come on an official visit 48 hours. I mean, you know, kids, you're coming on campus to check out your university, but you're also saying, you know, I got 48 hours to check you out too. Exactly. You can hide it in high school for an hour. You know, you know, you can, you know, you can hide it in a lot of different places. You can, it could be hidden at camp, but in 48 hours, we hope we can find out who you are. And there's plenty of kids we've walked out and just kind of said, I don't need to meet with him on Sunday. I'm good. Yeah. You know, just, you know sit, get him to his flight early. Let's make sure he doesn't miss his flight home. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's great feedback. And sometimes if, uh, and, and that brings up a good point for those in the industry that don't really know about the Sunday meetings, most of the head coaches for the players they're interested in at the end of an official visit, meet with those players before and their families before they get on the plane. And if, if you're not met with, that usually means that you're you're not a great fit for that institution, which is great feedback. And sometimes, I don't know if this ever happened with you, Pat, and maybe it has. Some of the families, if they weren't being met with, they would want to meet. Right. And, and so I would then tell the assistant coach, okay, as long as um, we all know what kind of feedback I'm going to give them. Right. And that would just be, this isn't going to be a great fit for right. these reasons. And and they that was hard to deliver, um, necessary, and that didn't mean it usually ended well. You know, we weren't friends because of the outcome. But uh, feedback's a gift. And sometimes, man, you can save people a lot of heartache by giving them the feedback necessary um, for their next visit. No question about it. Sometimes they need to hear the real story about why, you know, we are where we are, you know, in, a, in the program. So I hope, you know, thank God I haven't had too many of them. I, you know, I remember having one last year. And I know where that guy is now, and I know the issues he's having. And I'm like, we avoided that one. Totally. Um, you know, he ends up in the newspaper. But, you know, maybe through eight seasons in recruiting cycles here, probably three or four that I have not met with. Yeah. Um, but then there's, you know, the ones that you have met with, and you just kind of slow played them. Um, yeah. I feel bad if a kid comes on and, you know, kind of that nice guy. You feel bad that you, you know, you, you want to meet with everybody, but probably yeah. should be a little bit more like, yeah, I'm good. You're wasting yeah. my time. Probably should probably meet with less. Maybe I learned that from today, Bronco. I'm just kidding. How many how many guys did you not meet with? On a, you know. In- yeah. Um, so handful. So very similar numbers as to what you're saying. Okay. And 
And so not not a huge number, but just something about the fit um, where that was just someone that I didn't think was going to be a great influence uh, from a per. I don't know, a personal level or a conduct level, or maybe just a personality. And right. um, as you know, the, those margins for winning and losing, but also your margins on a daily basis to be uh, encouraged and optimistic, they're mm-hmm. pretty thin. And sometimes just the wrong person at the wrong time that's carrying a negative influence is just yeah. not what I wanted to be around. No doubt. It just hit me as you're, you're talking, you kind of bring that up just about the other issues, whether it's a smile but you've been in these meetings. You, I don't know if you, you know at Virginia and BYU, you had some you know team meetings, especially on some of those bigger ones. Kind of maybe going through your program goals, and you're five or seven minutes in, and you know I'm sure you're energetic like I am. Like you know, it's hard to fall asleep. And when I see eyes closed, I'm oh, like, yeah. that guy's done. Yes. He if he can't stay, you know, five minutes in, and he's already maybe, again, maybe he's got a sleeping disorder. But like, there's no way he's going to be able to get it done. You know, in yeah. the classroom, or you know, with our coaches, you know, in a football classroom. Well, and really the in the business world, there's a really cool selection and assessment process. And it's just they they look to have competencies demonstrated. And so on the official visit, the reality is how many settings can you put them in that demonstrate or mirror those that they're going to be in that are truly reflective of your program? And so there's an evaluation not only for you to them, but them to you. And and that's the greatest gift they can be given. And I think it's easy to slip into the persuasion and the influence and trying to entice them to come there there's a balance because you need to find out truly if they're the right people as well and on both sides no question about it and you know that's all part of the evaluation process you know i was talking to a coach on our way down to a charity golf outing um and he said how do you have six guys drafted this season how do you you know six is a lot yeah and i said you know First of all, I'm evaluating every kid myself. Like, you know, it goes from the position coach to the, you know, to the coordinator, coordinator to me. And, and yep. uh, you know, I guess it's really from the area coach to the position coach, position yep. coach to coordinator, then to me. But I, every kid I'm getting my eyes on and the coach, you know, I said, well, how about you? Are you watching every kid? Because it's not easy, as you know. I got three sitting in my folder right now that I've got to get. I probably had done in this this podcast, <laughs> and um, so Brock, I'm going to put. I'm going to make you do it later on. Exactly. Uh, but um, so he, you know, we're sitting there talking, and he says, "What?" Yeah, you know, he goes, "I'm starting to watch more," and I'm like, "Well, that's a problem if you're starting that. Like, like it's been day one. Like this is how we're going to do it, and we're going to be careful. And I've always been, you know, under the thought, like, don't worry about the ones you don't get." We're about the ones you get that can't play. And you know, we've been fortunate enough not to have many mistakes here. And again, we're all going to make mistakes on the character, you know, the personalities and obviously the athletic ability of some of these guys. And we want to see them live. And, you know, recruiting is such a big, but there's so many avenues to, you know, to evaluate. And you want to try to hit on and, and touch on as many of those as you possibly can. Well, and, and, and if you assess that correctly, not only from an NFL capability standpoint, but a smile on their face and a great fit for your program, the chances are that when another school um, tampers or has interest or whatever that looks like now in college football, the chance that they stick with you probably goes up. And so I'm wondering, just as you are navigating that part uh, in in the world of, of transferring and NIL, which kind of contributes to the transferring, not all the time, but I think they're interrelated. What's that like now within your program or or maybe what you've seen within other programs and navigating that space? Yeah, I, you know, I love how our program is right now. Our kids, 
you know, you, you know, you know, this, when you walk out of, you know, spring ball, you walk into a, you know, a meeting with the every kid. So I met, you know, with every kid. So uh, probably 110 guys coming out of spring ball. Matter of fact, I got two more to go that were, you know, that came mid year, they went back for prom and I didn't get a chance to, to meet with them yet. So I've really got two more uh, really high school players that I've got to meet with. And through every one of those meetings, Bronco, this is amazing. And I think this tells you the quality of kid we have in our program through every one of our meetings. I'm talking 30 to 40 minute meetings. These aren't short meetings. These aren't like, I'm never going to, you know, shortchange a guy saying, oh, he's a walk. I'm not going to meet with him. I want to get as much as I can out of these kids. And there's that relationship that, that we talk about. I'm not going to shortchange anybody, but not one of those meetings did a kid ask me about name, image, and likeness coach, and I'm not making enough money or I need coach. You know, how about me? You know, like, I, you know, I walked out of there and you know, I told a couple of coaches down at the, you know, our, our uh, ACC um, head coaches meetings down to me. I'm like, I didn't have one of those. And they're looking at me like, really? So I think our kids are in a good place. You know, it's not as you you and I know, it's not about the money. You know, it wasn't when I turned down a bunch of jobs to stay at Michigan State when I was there. Um, it's about the job and the place and the fit and all those other things. But it's not about the money. And I try to relate to our kids that it's not about the money. You know, you talk about money. It's it's when you go to the NFL and after you get a degree, you can make good money. But this, you know, these name, image, and likeness, this peanuts we're talking about. And I'm not talking about the $13 million quarterback that almost went to Florida. Um, you know, when you think about some of that crazy story going on. But, you know, there, there's some odd ones like that. But just the normal money, it's not about that. And our kids are unbelievable about that. And I think if they have a relationship, you know, we talk about the young coaches. If, if players have relationships and they're happy where they are and they're getting treated with respect, you know, they kind of see that and they know there's, they talk to their buddies and say, Hey, he's not happy over here. He's not happy over here. I think they start to figure out that, Hey, I got it pretty good here. You feed them right. You treat them right. Um, and, and again, it's real too. It's not fake. It's not a fake treat them right. Uh, I think they can sense that, Hey, this is real. And our guys don't leave. I mean, obviously the one disappointing one, I think Brian, you know, gave him a, a name, image and likeness deal. And I don't really want to talk much about Jordan Addison. He's a great kid and he's got a great family, but he thought he was going to get paid a lot. That was one of the ones, the disappointing ones, you know, since I've been here uh, in really all eight seasons, because just because the portal opened didn't mean there wasn't tampering and people transferring and getting a waiver to be eligible before they were immediately eligible by this new rule. But, you know, we've lost one guy in, in my years and, and it was disappointing. And it was a you know, month and a half fight to try to keep him. And he still loves Pittsburgh. He's still talking about how much he he liked it at Pittsburgh and has recommended guys come to Pittsburgh. So there's a good thought there. Uh, but you still you don't want to lose anybody in your program. Yeah, well, and and if you pull that thread, the selection and assessment process gives you your best chance. And then Ruffin McNeil and podcast have heard me say this before. He used to always say, "Real recognizes real." That's right. And and so when when you treat people well and they absolutely know you care about them and you're doing everything you can to develop them and help them reach not only their goals but within the program. And, and much like you at the University of Virginia before I left, uh, I believe it was the third fewest transfers. And, and so folks ask me quite frequently my thoughts on the transfer portal and the benefit to me of the portal, if there is a benefit, right, um, is the accountability on each coach and program to care for their players. Right. And, and some, and I'm not saying needed that motive, but the reality is the programs like yours where not many people leave usually means they've been selected and assessed and treated in a manner um, that they leave. And and that's, it's, uh, I, again, I, I think there's value in that. 
Um, and, and I think relationships, as you mentioned, end up winning the day and they're the most lasting thing anyway. Yep. I mean, they're, they're expensive for sure. Right. I mean, it yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't cost you anything as a coach or a player to have those relationships. We need to get you back in the game, Bob. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need the good people back in the game. You know, how much longer are you going to be doing these podcasts? I'm waiting. Uh, you know, so, so, the, the older guys, and you're a lot younger than I am, but the, you know, the guys that have been in it, you know, like you didn't get into coaching to make money. I didn't get into coaching to make money. My first job at Miami of Ohio, you know, I was two years as a GA at Miami of Ohio, and then I became the wide receiver coach, which you know, I probably had no business coaching wideouts, Bronco. But coaching wideouts back in 1991, making $18,000. My wife reminds me, she thinks it's seventeen five, <laughs> but but like $18,000, I rounded it up, you know, it was big money at that time. But then that was, you know, and I left a year later to make 35 or 33 at the University of Rhode Island, but we didn't get into this. My dad was a coach for 30 years and was the head coach AD at Youngstown State making about 45. I did not get into this profession to make money. I never thought I'd be sitting in the chair I am today. It was to be around kids and develop kids and, and the, you know, your, just your love for the game. And I think too many coaches nowadays get in it for the wrong reason. They think, they, I want to go make money. You know, you didn't get, you know, that wasn't your motivation. That wasn't my motivation. And I think that's something for those young guys. You better love getting into this profession because your chances of doing what you have done for many years and what I've done for, you know, a few years, you know, it's hard to do. And, you know, yeah. but, you know, assistant coaches are making more money than they ever did now, which is good. But it takes time and you better have a passion to do what you do in this game. Yeah, two, two things based on what you just said. My first coaching job, Snow Junior College, $4,500 for the season. I commuted an hour each way and I trained horses in the off season so I could do it again. Ooh. And then I got I got to teach a fitness for life in a tennis class in addition to coaching. And then my first full-time job, Northern Arizona, a little bit higher. I started at 27.5 if I used my horse trailer to move myself. I could, I could get the stipend, the moving stipend, I think it would have been like, you know, 24, but because I moved myself with the horse trailer and I had, you know, horse yeah, manure on my, my couches and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I was back at Snow Junior College just recently given the um, uh, the graduation address and I, I'm leaving and, a, and a, a young man walks up to me younger and his his daughter was graduating from Snow. I coached him at snow and he comes back and he's telling me the stories of that version of myself when I was the $4,500 coach. And I guess my point is the relationship stuck and it mattered and the principles that were taught mattered to him. And he was grateful. He, he was grateful that, that he had someone that developed him hard, um, but cared and, yeah. and helped him. And, right. and, and the gratitude I think is one of the coolest ways to express it. And back to, uh, we talked a little bit about the portal with the with their players. Uh, for a long time, assistant coaches, right? Also, because there's opportunities all the time to move up and you've done it and I've done it, coordinator to head coach and sometimes position coach to coordinator and you leave. What kind of, um, I don't know, what kind of loyalty or advice or counsel would you give those young or assistant coaches right now um, regarding I don't know, maybe gratitude and, and balancing that versus maybe the professional uh, initiative to want to move. Right. That's a great question. And I've probably gotten in trouble before of just talking about it. But like that's my, my big thing is, you know, um, is making good decisions. And I think, you know, nowadays it's hard for people to make decisions on where they want to go, what they want to do. And we try to, you know, mentor these young guys. And, you know, 
it happens so much more now with our younger coaches, you know, whether they're guys, you know, you, you have 10 people working in your recruiting office and all of a sudden they get one little bite. It's like, I'm out. Like, and it's like, slow down. But like these, you know, whether it's, you know, GAs, volunteer coaches, it's like, you know, and even assistant coaches to that point, you know, just making good decisions. I know I talked to one of our coaches off, you know, probably making a major decision, you know, just based on people like, Hey, you like it here. Like you better find out who you're working for. Cause you never know. And I'll never, you know, I'll never forget this one. I was at Michigan state, tell you a story. And I had an opportunity. Kevin, someone just took the Texas A&M job. I'm the D coordinator at Michigan state. And Kevin calls me up, offers me the job. I've never met him before. And, uh, you know, pay me twice the money that I'm going to make at Michigan state to go down there. And I'm like, you know, I turned to my wife and said, honey, we're going to have to at least take a peek at this. So we both flew down, spent, you know, two days with Kevin Summit. Kevin Summit's a great guy. I loved him. Um, you know, but it's like that recruiting visit you're on, you know, yeah. and he's running fast tempo. You know, I don't care about tempo. Just give me a chance on defense to have some success. <laughs> I'd like to be successful on defense too. Um, but, you know, I spent, you know, you know, a couple of days down there just looking at everything and talking ball and, and uh, you know, I end up flying home. I get on the plane. I turn to my wife and said, what do you think? She goes, well, everybody down here is from Texas and we're not, you know. Um, but it took me like a week, Bronco, to figure out like yeah. you know, what I wanted to do because it was money. And I really liked Kevin Sumlin as a person. I thought he was a good dude. But then, I, you know, I went back and I just thought like, OK, you know, when you talk about young coaches making decisions, I'm like, am I happy where I am? Yes. Do I love coming in the office every day? Yes. And you know, as we talked to other coaches around the country for the last 20 years, when you talk to other coaches and they're talking about how miserable they are going to the office every day, I'm like, what am I going to travel all the way down to Texas for more money, okay, to have a job? Maybe I'm just I'm like, you know, I walk in the office every day and I'm miserable and I don't like my job anymore. Like, I'm happy. Like, I'm just going to stay where I am. And that's what it really came down to is happiness and making good decisions. I've turned those jobs down and I always look back and say, if I'd have taken that job, would I be where I am today? I think the loyalty for some of these young coaches, they need to figure it out, is work for a guy for a long time and the right jobs will happen. I think too often kids want to take, you know, take that first opportunity they get. It's like, slow down. Like, you yeah. can get so much better here. Are you where you need to be? Can you do it? Um, you know, just want to make sure you're prepared and, mm. you know, take advice from some of us older guys that have made good decisions. I mean, I don't care if it's buying a house. I don't care if it's picking your wife. You know, you meet a girl for a first week and you're going to get married, like slow, you know, I'd be slowing down all my, my girls and my, my son at home, like, hey, hey, you know, but making good decisions on who you're married, what house you're buying. You don't buy the first house you walk through and and you certainly don't take the first job that's offered to you. So I think just slowing down the process and, and you know, if there's opportunities today for you, there's going to be one tomorrow and then next month and then the next year. But you can make some major mistakes without getting into names about taking these jobs that you think are all going to be uh, the next great move. Yeah, it's really good advice and, and slowing down and playing the long game on major decisions and then right uh, to to be praised is intoxicating, right? When someone shows interest in you, uh, it, it feels so good. Um, but if they if there's wise counsel like you're giving, just slow down for a second. I know that feels good. And but really, is this best for you? And. And that in and of itself is, I think, a challenge versus youth, right? Young people and that that praise and where they look for it as well. Maybe we'll just uh, we'll end with this question and this topic, um, because so many young people um, are looking outside for the praise. And that's from social media and how many likes they get. And I remember one time and I don't know if you remember the story, but there was a, a young man that committed to a school 
and literally checked his social media and changed his commitment because there wasn't popular enough. There, there weren't enough likes for his announcement to that school. And, and he was pretty open about saying it. And, and so the praise right of the world and what others thought mattered so much uh, versus maybe one head coach or position coach or mentor that he could really trust and listen to, to, to give him advice. So uh, how are you helping the kids navigate maybe the, that pervasive world? Cause it's intoxicating and it's entertaining and it feels good to be thumbed up or all the things that are happening. And so how are you navigating that? You know what, you know, we try to educate the guys on that um, a little bit, but you know, you know, when I was at Michigan state, we had a DB that was missing a couple tackles. And I'm going, what is wrong with this guy? What, why is he, what's he doing? Like, then you'd sit down with them and you're like, hey, you know, we're going to be okay next week. You know, let's, you know, we'll work on tackling this week and you'll be fine. You know, talking to a couple of the teammates, you know, that week and they're like, coach, he's getting killed on social media as far as mm-hmm. just how he's playing. They're burying him and he's reading it. Oh. Like, I don't read, I don't read this phone, like this computer, you know, unfortunately we're carrying a computer in our pocket every day, which we didn't have to do growing up. Like, you know, that's great. You're like, but like, I'm not like, I don't read any articles. I got you here. My favorite app is, is the USA today right there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to see what's happening in the world, which is probably fake news anyway, probably what's happening in Ukraine and all the things you want to know about, like what's going on, uh, you know, all those stories, but like, I don't read that stuff. And if I'm worried about what people said about me as a head football coach, we'd have some problems. Like if I'm worried about getting likes and Hey, everybody said good stuff about coach Narduzzi today. Like I'm, I got some issues, you know, I'm not going to be focusing on really what I need to do. And, and uh, you know, what do you do with these guys? They got to get off social media. Okay. They got to understand nobody knows what's happening in this program, except the guys in this, in, in the walls of this building. And, you know, to worry about what someone thinks that's in the basement of some, you know, their grandma's house or their mother's house, you know, you know on their computer typing up, you know, crazy stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, we know what's happening in this program. You know what you need to do, you know, ignore the noise. And I think, that's what we try to teach them. You know, if, if someone's having a bad day or had a bad Saturday afternoon, it's it's grabbing that guy, putting your arm around him, saying, hey, that was last week, let it go. And don't listen to what they're saying out there because it doesn't matter. We know what you got. We know who you are. And we'll see better this weekend. But we won't see better if you're busy, you know, looking at your phone. I'll never forget, I'm at Michigan State, and we used to do dorm checks during camp in August. And, you know, you'd walk in, hey, you guys all good? And guys are on the computer. And I'm like, you walk in, and they're on the computer. And they're looking at this this website, like the the, uh, the blogs, and it's, I think it was Spartan Mag at the time. They're looking at like what they're saying about practice and who's playing good. And I'm like, dude, you're at practice every day. You watch the tape. What do you need to go on there to find out what's happening in our program? You're on the team. You're not one of those guys that needs to look at that stuff. Um, so just trying to get them off of that. And you know, I got some advice one time. If you got a guy that's really bad, okay, and you can't coach, I can't stop. It's a computer. Okay, I'm talking a great sports psychologist. You know, I'll give him credit. Lonnie Rosen, he's outstanding. Uh, met him when I was at Michigan State and you know, stayed in touch with him, you know, uh, through those days. But, you know, he brought up a great point. Like, you know, kids are addicted to these. They can't stop. I mean, I've seen guys in my office, like, they, you know, having in a Sunday meeting and they can't stop picking his phone out of his pocket. I'm like, this dude's got a real issue. Um, but they can't stop it. It's, a, it's an addictive thing for some of these kids, and depending on how they've, how they've grown up. Um, but he said, you know, get the kid a flip phone. Okay. He's got his computer. They're not going to sit on a computer. They're not going to sit in front of their computer at home 
but th that's their computer. They're going to you know look at that all the time. But get a flip phone, and all you can do is make phone calls. You can't do anything else except make phone calls on it. And you know, I think you can maybe text, but you might have to hit that to get a B. You might have to hit the the, the number one twice, whatever it is. Back in the old days, back in the old BlackBerry days. Um, but that, you know, just that to me is the extreme. If you really have somebody that's that far off, but it's a, it's an answer. Um, yeah. just, you know, who cares what everybody else thinks? You better, you know, take care of your business at home. Really a powerful life lesson. And the, the listeners have heard me talk about a book called Irresistible before, and it talks about the addictive power of the cell phone, the most addictive device ever known to man. And so the book Irresistible goes into the numbers and how much screen time someone will, sp someone will spend through their entire life. And the, the numbers are astounding. And so for any of our listeners, if you're looking for a good read uh, on this topic, that'd be a great one. Uh, but back to back to your point, a dorm check and the right feedback from someone who's willing to say what needs to be said, right, in a way that it will be received, you know, that, that has a chance to change a life, which is what coaches do. And right. after being a competitor um, and playing against uh, uh, Pat's teams, the I think a lot of times teams, they they reflect um, the leadership um, in some way and capacity. And I think the more they do, the better coach they are. And so, Pat, I always thought your teams reflected and were, were almost like just a natural offshoot of who you were, which usually yeah. meant the kids that were coming were coming because of that, right? They weren't, pre there wasn't a pretend way. And so uh, I thought those two things, the style of play and how they played versus the leadership style and person, there was a really close match there, which um, I think those are the programs. As I look back to the old NFL days of Chuck Knoll and Bud Grant and Don Shula and like those names that uh, uh, Tom Landry, right? The teams kind of played, they were iconic by the coach, but the Ooh. team kind of, represented or, or wasn't too far from them right. and in in the world of college football right there's i think more teams need to be like that but i think more teams need to be led like that and so we just really appreciate you being on and taking some time now you've got five million things waiting outside your door to go and do but really really appreciate you just taking a minute to visit with us today well you know it's great to be on with you bronco you know i've got a ton sure. of respect for what you did at virginia in your whole career um that's the only reason i came on <laughs> uh, for you, Bronco, and, and you. Uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do it, enjoyed you in the ACC. Once you're back in college football, and um, appreciate everything you do for college football. So I appreciate you guys having me on today. Thanks, Brian. Over to you. I'm just going to say that you probably enjoyed him a little bit less in, the, in your last meeting. You two guys combined, I think it's 48, 38, your, your oh, last crap. meeting together. You guys allowed like over 500, 500 yards of, of offense for, for two defensive guys. Mm -hmm. I, I think you need to need to respond. Addison caught every third down critical play like it was like 20 for 20 in that game. We, we could not stop that guy. Tell you what, see, so you guys remember that. I forgot about that game already, Bronco. <laughs> I remember being coastal champions in 2018 and then opening up with you first game of the season oh, against, I, I against Virginia at home. And I'm like, why are we playing the preseason <laughs> champion? We're like, don't you – the coastal champion from a year ago versus the preseason – don't you think they move that towards the end of the season? Exactly. Why are we opening up? And we, you know, we, we were younger that year, and you kicked the crap out of. So Brian, that's what I remember. I don't remember the wins. I remember <laughs> the losses and kicked in. And uh, that what's you know, I think that's what you know motivates us all the time. As Bronco can probably tell you too. 
it felt like the Super Bowl. I mean, we just come out of fall camp and it feels like your whole season is going to be defined right, right out of the shoot. <laughs> it certainly was. You did a heck of a job. And, and uh, some of the players you recruited that are playing in the NFL now, I mean, I forget all their names, but number zero, that tight end, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, only quarterbacks that, you know, couldn't play quarterback, but were great athletes. You did a heck of a job recruiting them. So just just so we all know, it, when you're playing pit, you're going to get blitzed and your quarterback's going to hit get hit about 5,000 times, which is, uh, I, I, I love the style. So anyway, thanks for being on, Pat. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it, Pat. And we'll have to have you on to uh, to rehash some of those uh, those, those wins and, and a couple of those losses uh, on, on another episode. But for Pat Narduzzi and Bronco Mendenhall, I am Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for tuning in. For Head Coach, you will catch you again next week.